You're listening to Period Story, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, and their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Lanise Brothers. I'm a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well-being practice. Welcome to today's guest. On today's episode, we have Sharon Walters. Sharon is an artist, educator, and a part-time coordinator of community engagement programs at a London museum. Since January 2018, Sharon has been working on a mixed-media collage series entitled Seeing Ourselves. Now with over 200 pieces in the collection, she has exhibited in a number of public spaces, including the Now Gallery in Greenwich and the New Ashgate Gallery in Surrey. Her work is shared regularly on Instagram through her London underscore artist one account. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Lenise. Hi. <laughs> so let's start off by getting into the story of your first period. Can you share with us what happened? So I can't remember the exact specifics, but I know I was around the age of 11. Um, I do remember the feelings that I had around that time, which was that it wasn't really something to be that excited about. Um, and I think that just stems from the way we talked about periods and the way they were viewed and probably my, the experiences of my mum and both, both my mum and my nan. Um, so those kinds of experiences were passed down to us really. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the experiences that were passed on that made you feel not very excited about your first period? Well, I do remember that um, quite a, a lot of the time we weren't really, periods weren't really spoken about. Um, so I remember, I remember a particular time when my nan was, um, she, <laughs> she had this ottoman at the end of the bed. And I remember opening the ottoman and finding her sanitary towels. And she, she, she was really annoyed that I found these sanitary towels. And she was a lovely woman, but she was really annoyed I found them. And she said to me, you know, you can't, those aren't for you. Those are women's, those are for women. And, you know, it was just slammed shut. Um, so I think that was my initial introduction to what a period was. Um, but later on, both, but, well, my mum, she just basically had really super heavy periods that were always painful and so that was the kind of narrative that I grew up around, that they were something that were really difficult. They happened to you and they were, yeah, they just weren't very enjoyable. <laughs> your, so your nan was really annoyed that you found her sanitary towels. If you think back now on it, do why do you think it, she was so annoyed? I think maybe she just didn't have the words to explain what uh, what periods were to a child and also I grew up in in a time where children were to be seen and not heard so you didn't really have a voice you were seen to be a child and as a child you only did childlike things and discussed childlike things 
So anything beyond that was seen as something completely separate and you're trying to be too fast or you're trying to be too, you know, involved in big people's conversations, that kind of, it was that kind of rhetoric. Given that rhetoric, how did you learn about menstrual health and what was actually happening to your body? I didn't really learn at all. So I learned, I knew that I had a period every month, but I was never really told what that whole process was about. I knew that, I don't think I even knew that you could get pregnant or I, yeah, that kind, those kinds of discussions didn't really happen. What really happened was, this is your period, here are the sanitary towels, you don't use tampons because um, you're too young and that was it, that was the only discussions we really had. But I just knew it was something that I couldn't let my dad see. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you couldn't really leave any remnants of your period it was uh, there was a lot of shame attached to having a period yeah (laughs) you said you just knew that you couldn't let your dad see it how where did that knowledge come from oh from my mum so she had told you yeah 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 so if for example there was a tiny bit of blood maybe that might have been in the toilet or there were sanitary towels you know you had to make sure everything was and it I understand that you obviously don't want everyone seeing your menstrual blood, but I kind of grew up feeling like it was something really, really dirty. And it was something that um, it wasn't for men to see. And it was kept very separate from my relationship with my father. Have you ever had any conversations with your your father around these topics? No, (laughs) no, Um, (laughs) no, I haven't. And I don't know if I, maybe after this I might, but um, I've never had those discussions. It was just, I think the way we grew up was, it was something you spoke to about your mum, spoke to about with your mum and you, or I might have spoken to my nan, but then the conversations would be very, very limited and you knew there were boundaries that you just couldn't cross. And then there was just no one else that you could speak to about that stuff. So you kind of grew up not, I grew up not really understanding and not knowing what was going on with my body at all. And I felt quite, I think now looking back with hindsight, I feel quite disconnected and I, yeah. And I I always have done with my period. Even today. Yeah. I don't think I ever really, I know. Yeah. I don't, it just kind of seems to happen every month. It's definitely not as heavy as it used to be. It used to be horrendously heavy. Um, and I used to leak regularly at night and I used to wear multiple sanitary towels that I would have to change constantly. And I just, um, and it just became normal to be leaking everywhere and to be in pain and to be taking loads and loads of ibuprofen tablets to, to deal with the pain. And I, and I think just because I grew up with that, you know that story that or that those experiences of my um my mum and my nan that this is what happens I just took it as being normal and I think it was only when I uh, met you and started following you on Instagram I was like oh she's saying that periods don't need to be heavy (laughs) and that completely blew my mind because I knew that some people didn't have heavy periods obviously I just thought it was quite normal and so it's taken me over 40 years to start to um, see things differently. And I I really think that was only through meeting you. 
Wow. So going back to what you were saying about your, this idea of shame and periods being something really dirty, mm-hmm. you d- do you think that that feeling translated into other areas of, of your life and the way you felt about your body? Yeah, I think, well, I grew up um, Catholic and relationship with sex, for example, was seen as um, something you don't do until marriage. And the idea of living with someone, for example, before marriage was seen as living in sin. And um, and so, yeah, I think that fits around that whole um, kind of idea of things being dirty, if not done in a certain way. And there was very, very particular rules that you had to follow in order to be seen or perceived as clean, if that makes sense. Um, And it wasn't until my late teens that I started to undo those stories a little bit by, you know, when I was 20, I met my husband and we lived in sin and it was seen as living in sin. Um, Yeah, so. (laughs) So no sex until marriage, this idea of... I didn't follow that one though. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's cute, but mm-mm, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm really interested in this idea of cleanliness and periods yeah. being dirty. And I, we didn't talk to your, really talk to your grandmother or your mom about it. I know you have a sister. Did you yeah. have any conversations with her, your sister? No, I can't remember conversations with my sister around periods. Um, and if I probably asked her, we probably did, but I've gotten, <laughs> getting a bit older now. Um, and I, I just can't recall the conversations. But I remember her experience not being that great either, as in she also had heavy periods. And, but that's as much as I remember. I remember her experiences to a certain extent, but, but I can't remember any real conversations. What about your friends? I just remember me having the heaviest periods and it being really frustrating and really difficult and um, just knowing that a few days every single month I'd be in a lot of pain and they'd be super heavy and I'd constantly be changing sanitary towels and leaking as I said and um, and then not just not being able to wait until it was over. So you didn't really talk to your friends about what was going on? No, I, I, I don't think I did. I just think I kind of felt as though this was... something that had been passed down as in and I don't know how true this is but I felt that because my mum had really really heavy periods it was inevitable that I would have heavy periods and that would be my experience and there was nothing that I could do to change that because so it was something that you just put up with and got on with it and it was a few days a month and then you could move on um until the next one actually reading about what so sanitary towels and what to do um Mm -hmm. was it something you did you just read the packet and just figure all of these things out for yourself yeah I think I think my mum might have initially showed me that you just take off you know those those sticky plastic things or the thing that attaches to the sticky thing at the bottom and you just lay them in your knickers and yeah and that was it it wasn't there wasn't anything else to really be told I don't think and I remember having to tear them up and put them down the toilet (gasps) that's what I've just remembered yeah being having to tear them up 
Ew, that makes me feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> so you would actually take your your used t- um yeah, I'm sure I did. Yeah, and then put them down the loo. Yeah. Oh wow. I know. Oh, I'm going quite deep now. <laughs> but you don't you don't do do that anymore. No. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's why I was. That's why I was mortified when I was like, oh, "I used to do that." No, but, um, no. <laughs> it, what's really interesting is loads of women. They they still think that uh, you. It's okay to flush a tampon down the loo. Really? And, yeah, and I yeah, I've seen posts on Instagram where people talk about oh. Um, how much tampon waste is contributing to things, you know, plugging up the sewers and the drains. And the, in the comments, you see women saying things like, oh, my God, I had no idea that um, I wasn't supposed to flush them down the, the loo. Uh, because toilet, that's, sorry to interrupt, but that's really interesting because in public toilets, you see that you're supposed to put all sanitary in, you know, one of those sanitary bins next to the toilet so why would you think at home that you it's really interesting I think sometimes like I can speak from my own personal experience like when I was using tampons I I had no idea I would just wrap I would either just flush it down the toilet or Mm. in public I would perhaps wrap it up and put it in that bin but I didn't make the connection um, mm-hmm. and I don't, I can't explain why it just never, the, I never, it never clicked in my mind until I started doing this work and reading, reading around it. But yeah, tampon, pan, tampon waste and well, menstrual pad waste mm-hmm. is a huge, it's a huge problem for the sewer, the, the, well, and water companies in terms mm-hmm. of like cleaning cleaning the water so I think that's really interesting that you were told to rip up your pads and flush them down Mm. the loo yeah um what about your education in school were what what sort of things did you have sex ed in school and did it cover anything to do with menstrual health I don't I can't recall it covering anything to do with menstrual health I can't I remember Possibly we talked about sex as in how you reproduce, but I don't remember any real kind of any real kind of education around what was happening to my body at that time. So thinking about the education that you received um, Mm. in these areas, do you think it's changed the way that you speak to your kids? I know you have a son and a daughter Mm. uh, about these topics. Yeah. Yeah, it has definitely. So, um, so with my son, he's a a lot more aware of what happens, um, in terms of, you know, reproduction, but also in terms of, um, periods and my daughter, I've just recently, um, started telling her a a lot more, but I'm, she's seven and my son is 11, but I just want her, want them both to be aware of, what is hap- what happens to a woman's body because I feel like it will change their relationship with their own bodies especially my daughter change her relationship with her body and she you know she started to ask some questions about does it hurt mummy and you know what does the sanitary towel feel like against your skin and 
you know, does it hurt when the blood comes out? So she's, she's asking me a lot of questions and she started asking these questions probably within the last year. Um, so yeah. Oh, so yeah. So it just, it makes me happy that she will be better equipped hopefully than, um, than I was. And it's not that I blame my parents or think they did a bad job. I think it was just, they thought they were doing what was best. And I'm sure at that time that was for them what was best, but um, just learning from my experiences, I think it's really important that my daughter has a different relationship with her body. And I think that can really, having that understanding of your body and what what it's actually doing <laughs> can really help you in terms of your self-esteem and your confidence and um, just your relationship with your body because it's such an important relationship. So your daughter is really curious about what everything that um, that you've been exp- been talking to her about. Mm. Do you curiosity? But has she had any other reactions? And has she talked to her friends about these things? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I've got no idea. She's. She's a really interesting character, so she might have done, goodness knows. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure she would even tell me if she, actually, she probably would tell me if she'd spoken to her friends. Yeah, she, even at her age already, she has her a very distinctive personality, which we talked about before, but she, yeah, I think she quite likes her independence with her friends and, you know, having her own conversations and, so, yeah, she probably has spoken maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm intrigued now. I'm going to have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> and you, so the conversations you've had with your son, he is, how, ha, how has he reacted? Uh, he's been fine, really. He, his, rea- his reaction about talking about periods, reaction to talking about periods has been, he just really, listened and asked a few questions but not very much not on the level that my daughter um, did but recently actually he told me he was quite annoyed that I had had those conversations with her earlier and before I could even respond my daughter chipped in and said but it's actually my body and it's going to happen to me so that's why I need to know first and I was like oh girl <laughs> but I just, you know, I just apologized and said it wasn't intentional, and you know, but she was not having it at all. She was like, "Well, it's happening to me, so of course I need to know sooner than you do." And um, so that was interesting because I hadn't really realized I'd done that. Because did did you think that you you didn't need to have those conversations with him? I don't know. I don't think it was necessarily that. I think because they are. I think because I had my young, my daughter four and a half years after having him, by the time I could have probably started talking to him about things, I was really busy trying to mother a second child as well. And I think it just wasn't really on my radar. I was just juggling so much and still am. <laughs> motherhood and everything else. I just... Um, and maybe there was a, a part of me that thought, actually, it's he's a boy, so he needs to, he might not need to know just yet, or I don't know. I don't think it was particularly intentional, but mm. maybe it's a subconscious thing that I just thought, actually, he's a boy. It's not happening to him. 
maybe little M was right <laughs> in what she was thinking about, you know, my response to, to telling her, for, you know, earlier than him. I think it's interesting, the idea of talking to boys about periods um, and, mm. men- and the menstrual cycle, because, you know, they may not, it might not exp- happen to them directly, but they will, it will impact them. So, mm. you know, they might have a daughter, they might have yeah. a wife. They certainly have a mother. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I kind of, and I think the partly the reason why I told him was a selfish reason because I've just remembered something where I explained to him that sometimes my moods can get quite low and it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm annoyed with him or with anything currently going on, but it just means that, it might be my peer, you know, my monthly cycle and it changes my mood. And I explained all that kind of stuff to him. And then he started to get it a little bit. And he will occasionally say, oh, you're on your period, mum. Uh, sometimes I'm just like, oh, no, I'm just a bit grumpy. But, um, <laughs> but um, I've tried to have quite, I've tried to help him in terms of his emotional intelligence. So I have said to him, occasionally I get moody and it might not necessarily be to do with my period. But if he sees me like that, then if he could get me, for example, a chamomile tea, then that would be great. And he does that um, every now and again. And and also it's a good sign for me to sh- so so that I'm aware that he feels as though my mood isn't quite right or that I might be being a bit difficult because let's face it, we're not perfect. And um, so, yeah, I think it just, it's almost like an unwritten, unspoken understanding between each other it's like a little code for mama's not quite right right now (laughs) Um, yeah and I and I really like that and thankfully he hasn't brought me too many chamomile teas but um he will just ask me because that means something's not right but um yeah it just makes me feel like we he at least understands um me a little bit yeah. That's a really, it's a, it's a lovely sign of his growing emotional intelligence. Mm. And he is a really sensitive, lovely child. He really is. Um, he's super kind and generous and he's now 11. So he's, he's, his personality's changing a bit and I see his moods going up and down. And I have explained to him that we, as difficult as it is for him at this stage it's also quite difficult for me as well because as much as I've worked with children and teenagers and adults over the last 20 years I also have met he has to understand that I haven't parented a preteen or a teenager before and it is a different space that we're beginning to occupy and I I've said to him that as patient as I need to be with him, he also needs to be patient because we're with me because we're both learning together. And so, yeah, occasionally I will um, remind him of that. (laughs) Yeah. And do you think he understands that idea of patience being a two-way street? Uh, I don't think he understands it fully at his age, no. But all I can do is... um, try and help him to understand um because it's something that I need to understand as well you know it's both it is we are really both in it together Mm. we really are I want to touch on your your collage series seeing Mm. yourself you mentioned earlier that 
you felt disconnected from your period and from your body. Talk a little bit about the inspiration of For Your Collage series and perhaps how it's changed you the way that you see your body. Um, oh, the Collage series has been uh, amazing in that it's given me, given me a chance to really express myself and have a voice and change my relationship with my body and improve my confidence so much. Um, and the reason why I started the series was because I, I felt as though I didn't see myself in, in, space, in a number of spaces. So, for example, in the arts and heritage sector, I work for a museum. Um, you know, there are very, very few um, women of African descent. Um, and there are, I'm not saying there aren't any, but I felt like in the environment that I was working in and the conferences that I would go to, all the workshops, all the talks um, for museum professionals, I just didn't see women like me reflected back. And I started to feel quite disconnected. I also... Um, didn't see myself in magazines or and that has started to change for example Vogue and I absolutely love that magazine now um, <laughs> but I I just didn't see um, I didn't see myself represented I didn't see myself when I went to museums uh, in galleries or in museums I and in particular, I wanted to see women with natural Afro hair because I felt as though my experience growing up was that I my hair would be chemically straightened from around about, I think, the age of 10, possibly, um, which is really interesting because it was 11 when I, around 11 when I started my period. So in terms of my identity developing, my relationship with my body wasn't great with my period starting and I didn't know what was going on but also then something that so that was something that was natural that was happening to me and now I think about it um, at the same time my natural hair was growing and actually thinking about it it was earlier that my hair was straightened but it was definitely hot combed earlier and so all these things that were natural that were happening to me weren't anything to be celebrated and through making the series it it allows me to take up space I think and take up space in places where I don't see myself so every single collage features a woman with natural afro hair and I have been asked which I think is a crazy question um <laughs> why only black women with natural afro hair my response is why not because I don't feel as though um white artists are asked why they are not inclusive of other you know other people and then I asked why are you not why are you not um, making artwork about black women with afro you know I'm 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 not convinced they get that question um, and also it's my space where I get to make the rules there are no restriction restrictions there are no boundaries there's no one telling me what to do and I just I just feel so empowered by the series I feel so empowered by the connections I've made, the women I've met, um, the people who have bought my work, people who've responded to it, both um, literally in the gallery spaces or when I'm doing a talk or a workshop, but also people online. And the idea that the work is now in a number of different countries as well, where 
brought them and I've sent them to them just completely blows my mind and it makes me really humble that from something that from something that is um provides me with so much so so much relaxation and so much calm and it's such a meditative process it's um bizarre that other people and it's wonderful that other people um connect with the work yeah <laughs> you said that the the collage series has improved your confidence. Yeah. So how do you see yourself now? Oh, that's a, a really good question. Um how do I see myself now? I see myself as strong now and I see myself as um I feel like it's more than okay to be me. And I feel that if I'm too much for some people, you know that saying, if you're too, people feel like you're too much for them, they're not your people. Mm. That's okay too. And I think that maybe before I wanted, I wanted people to really like me and I wanted to fit in. And I remember having my son and feeling really disconnected because I felt as though I didn't fit. We'd moved to a new area. I had no friends in the area. And, um, and within the friendship groups, I was the only black mum. Maybe there was one or two others, but predominantly um, the mums were white. And and as much as I love those friendships, I still almost felt like I didn't see myself. But now I see myself as uh, strong and driven and, um, yeah, and able to do what I set out to do. And I just felt as though I was getting to a point in my life where I, if I didn't start, believing in myself and trying to achieve my dreams then when would I you know that whole thing of if not now when oh I'm coming out with them this morning aren't I but if not now when I just um I felt like gosh I'm 40 you know I think I was 43 at the time maybe 43 I was like 43 now if I don't start doing this stuff you know I've got this art degree I've got this experience I've I can be creative why not just go for it and see what happens and just keep making the work? And I got a lot of encouragement from people on Instagram, a huge mm. amount of encouragement. Um, you know, those months where I was literally making a new piece every single day. Yeah, I got a lot of encouragement and I still do. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's just been a completely magical journey, really. So you're, you feel stronger now, you feel more confident. Mm. Do you feel... Do you feel more of a connection with your body and yourself? Yeah, and I think that partly comes from the fact that I stopped drinking about a year ago. Mm. Um, I feel like I'm not trying to... I feel like I I deal with my feelings head on (laughs) Mm -hmm. and my emotions head on. So if I'm happy, I'm happy because I'm really happy. And I have to deal with that happiness. Whereas, oh, and if I'm sad, ooh, we've got to deal with sadness too. <laughs> um, and I feel like even with the odd glass of wine, it, it obviously alters your state slightly. It's not that I'm anti-alcohol, but when it got to the point where I would have a sip of alcohol and it would give me a pounding headache, then it was time for me to go, actually. And it, I trust me, I, it was ridiculous. I did keep trying as though it was a health food that I needed to really get into my body, which is ridiculous. But I think when you've got so many 
ways of coping with everyday when you've got a particular way of coping with everyday life and you've always done that um it's very difficult to then go actually wow I'm gonna have to like cut up some paper and glue it back together and (laughs) and and, um, just deal with my emotions um but I think it's definitely had an impact with how I view my body and how I see myself and it's also improved my mental health hugely hugely because creating the collages gives me that gives me that and I'm inhaling <laughs> inhaling at the moment, but it gives me that time to really breathe you know when you can sit for up to six hours and just cut and you can be in a room with you know like I sit next to my husband a lot of the time to create the work you know on the sofa watching tv and he'll be watching I'll be cutting and we'll be talking and I'll be listening to and when you ha- give yourself time to just do something that's very selfish very about you and no one else and people ask me do the kids get involved in the in your collages and do they help you make they have a couple of times but this is really my space if they want to make a collage they're more than well welcome to make something next to me or you know make their own pieces and I do encourage that but I don't think everything needs to be connected to someone else Mm. it's okay to be self and I think that's not necessarily a narrative that is encouraged especially when you're a mother you're quite often encouraged to be giving you know giving everything to your kids and that's great if that's what you want to do but equally if you don't want to do that then you should be allowed to do some craft or do take time for yourself and for me it only makes me a better mother I'm not saying I'm perfect definitely not perfect but um and what is perfect but um (laughs) it definitely makes me better than I would be without creativity so this collage series has been a real jumping off point for you in so many different ways to improve your confidence it's giving you space for yourself and Mm -hmm. made you stronger and actually the whole mental health angle is really fascinating as well you said something you said you're you know what your emotions are and you're not hiding them Mm. um, with alcohol anymore if you feel something then you that's what you feel and I think that's really it's really important and so many people I speak to do use things to hide their emotions you know and that's I think that's part of being human but Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating that you've been able to identify that and use that as a source of you know being a bit more clear-eyed about yourself Mm. yeah I think it's just brought a certain level of clarity and um, acceptance for myself and love for myself really I just feel a lot I feel like my life is a lot fuller and it's, you know, and I still have moments of, oh, I've got too much to do and how am I going to manage it? And, and that is completely normal. But mm. obviously when you're in it, it doesn't feel normal. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you're like, ah! But, um, <laughs> but I just feel, I feel so much better just with making and with sharing what I'm doing with other people and um, and showing people that there, is, there are other ways to relax and how... How in just, uh, yeah, I, I want to explain the state really that I get into when I, when I create the collages. So it, 
goes from, oh, what am I going to make? And I don't think about what the piece will look like. I start with a portrait and I start cutting and I just cut away the thing, the pieces that instinctively feel right and to remove, look at light and shade. And I I don't know, I might remove the light sections of someone's face or the light in the clothing or a background or, and I keep cutting away. And then it just becomes, it begins to flow. And that feeling of flow is so beautiful. It's really difficult to explain. I recently did a, um, a workshop with Mandy and Kate from Love Sober podcast. And, and they talked about flow in the introduction and, and so many people in the workshop said that they entered that state of, and they hadn't collaged before. So it felt really special that all of these women had, um, had entered that state through me doing the workshop. That felt super special. I was like, oh, felt like the biggest gift you could give someone. And everyone, people just got into it. And that feeling of, you know, outside things don't matter. And you might be talking to someone, but you're entering something completely different where something else takes over and you're just in it. And oh, it's, it's, and that's why collaging for me is so addictive <laughs> because it allows me to not just relax and create something and people might like it, and, you know, or I can create a, a bespoke piece for someone and they'll go, oh, I love that. That's a great feeling too, but the process is so beautiful and um, so healing. And it doesn't matter what's been going on that day. I could have the most hideous day. But if I just give myself that time to create something at the end of it, it, yeah, it all goes away. Yeah, it all goes away. You've really gone on a journey from this this 11-year-old girl who wasn't sure what was happening to her to this 43-year-old woman 44, but it's okay. It's only a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a 44-year-old woman who has, you know, greater confidence, feeling strong, who has a better sense of herself. Um, and I think that's really fascinating. And if any listener is connecting with what you're saying, what's the one thing you would want them to take away from this podcast that it doesn't matter what's gone before but just start with today just start with today and think about maybe think slightly about what think a lot about what you want to achieve who you want to be what you want your legacy to be and I think in working with um the museum that I work with I look at community engagement and my work is about encouraging people who are not the typical um, museum audience to take up space in that museum so underrepresented groups so the work I do really ties in with my collage series because it's about me taking up space but I really want people to think about who so it's made me think about legacy a lot really in working at the museum and it's made me think about what my legacy would be and I really want people to think about what their legacy would be. It doesn't need to be huge. You don't need to, I don't know. It doesn't have to be huge, but just something that means something to you, something that you'd be proud of. What do you want your story to be? 
And it doesn't matter how old you are. I think I never, ever expected to be doing what I'm doing now. I always hoped I would, but I just got to a point, especially after having my son, that I just thought, I can't, I couldn't even imagine leaving the house without him or having, but you know, like real time on my own. And the same with my daughter. I just thought, I can't achieve those things that I thought I was going to achieve. So I just think start with today and just make things happen and really believe you can do it. That's the most important thing is to believe in yourself. Thank you so much, Sharon. There's so many, you've said so many wise words and there's a lot for listeners to take away and unpack. Where can listeners find out more about you? Okay, so uh, you can find out more about me via um, my Instagram account, so London underscore artist one. Um, but you can also find out about me through my website, which is londonartistone.com. Um, and I have some things coming up. So I have some workshops. I have a workshop in January, another one in February. I have, I'm part of an exhibition at the Mal Galleries in December for Art for Youth. Um, and any money raised will go towards a, a youth arts charity. So, you know, young people are very close to my heart because I do youth engagement as well at um, the museum I work at. But yeah, so find out more about me via my website and my Instagram account. (laughs) And we'll put all the links in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thank you for um, allowing me to think about um, my period and my story in a completely different way. Um, Yeah, lots for me to think about as well. Thank you, Lenise. Thank you. Thank you to today's guest and to you for taking the time out of your day to listen to Period Story. Music is Modern Jazz Samba by Kevin MacLeod. You can find show notes and links to things mentioned on this episode on www.periodstorypod.com. If you love this episode, then it would mean so much if you could head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Thank you and see you next week.